Good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Today is June the 23rd, and we find ourselves still in the book of Ephesians. Uh, today we're going to begin session 26, chapter 5, picking up in verse 26. So just for a little bit of context, uh, we're going to back up where Paul changes this subject here in verse 28. To, which let's let's see let's go ahead and look you see right here in Ephesians he ends off in chapter in verse number twenty one of chapter number five says submitting to yourselves one to another in the fear of God and then he says in verse twenty two wives submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church he is the savior of the body, okay? Um, and we're going to see as we work our way through this, while he is definitely using the relationship between a man and a woman in our our marriage or the sacrament of marriage, the issue is about headship, the Lord being the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, there can be application, of course, and we'll talk about that. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And as we talked about last time, verse 25, um, you know, a husband should be willing to lay down his, his, his life for his wife. Um, and then, New Territory, verse 26, why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And I've heard people just butcher this verse. The he, according to verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he, the he here that he's referring to, is Christ himself, that Christ might sanctify and cleanse it with the water, washing of the water of the word. So this brings about, brings a bit of a different interpretation, everything that he has said since verse 22. Uh, he's definitely, uh, when we get down into verse 20, 32, he's going to draw it all together, because in verse number 32, he's going to say, this is a great mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. So the interpretation is Christ in the church. It's about headship. Now, the application, sure, you can talk about a husband and a man, I mean, a man and a woman and their relationship in marriage, um, but the primary interpretation, this is talking about Christ and his church. Um, and the point is that Christ was willing to lay down his life so that the church could be sanctified and cleansed. And, of course, the application can certainly be made regarding the husband's responsibility toward his wife. Um, it is a spiritual duty as the leader of his home to see to the spiritual well-being of his bride. Now, the problem I see in the church today is I see this verse, I, I hear this verse taught, these verses taught, but they never draw the relationship between Christ and his church. They use it as a marital counseling, you know, it, 
you know, which is interesting. I, I see people preach a five-part sermon series on on what the Bible says about a husband and a wife. Well, the Bible doesn't say enough for five parts. I mean, we can infer, we can bring a lot of practical in to that. We can draw from a lot of sources, but the Bible, the majority of the time when the New Testament is talking about the 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 husband and his wife, they're it's talking about the church and Christ. Um, and you know, so how's he do that? That he Christ might sanctify and cleanse it. Okay, how by the washing of the water of the word. In other words, it must be done as we are saturated with the word of God. There's no other way. Um, I want to make two points regarding the latter part of this verse with the washing of the water of the word. Um, it has nothing to do with water baptism. Um, and I'll submit to you that water baptism has really no place in the body of Christ. When John the Baptist came baptizing the nation of Israel, he was baptizing them to be a nation of kings and priests so that they would fulfill their obligations once the kingdom came and reach the Gentiles. That's, that's what all the Old Testament prophecies talk about. That, is, that was the plan, that Christ would come, uh, the nation of Israel would accept him as their Messiah eventually. They had to kill him. The crucifixion had to happen. We know that. Um, the postponement, if you will, or the final rejection of the Messiah was not the crucifixion. And that's what I see so many in the church say today. See, they killed their Messiah. So God in Acts 2, you know, opened it up to the Gentiles. That's, I mean, yeah, they did kill their Messiah, but Acts 2 wasn't an opening to the Gentiles. Acts 2 was a very distinctive Israeli nation of Israel event. It was Pentecost. It had nothing to do with Gentiles. Uh, and if you study it, you'll see that it was the offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. It was the final offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel as given by Peter um, when, you know, Christ told him, I'll give you the keys. What you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loosed. And Peter fulfilled that when he offered the nation of Israel the kingdom in Acts chapter number two. They rejected it. Only a few thousand believed what he had to say out of the multitudes that were there. And understand Pentecost, I mean, every Jew within possible distance was there, and only, a, you know, not even a small percentage of them accepted the preaching of Peter. It was overwhelmingly rejected. The nation rejected the offering of the kingdom as given by Peter. And then, of course, they stoned Stephen, you know, who, who spoke a little more harshly about it. They stoned him. So from Acts 1 to Acts 8, there's no Gentile. There's nothing Christian in Acts 1 through 8. There's nothing body of Christ in Acts 1 through 8. In Acts 9, God raises up the Apostle Paul so he could go to the Gentiles. And the mystery was that Paul was going to take the, the message to the Gentiles without the nation of Israel. Um, very, you know, just people fail to understand that. And like I said, the baptism, you know, they asked Peter, what should we do? You need to repent and be baptized. 
the baptism was what happened when when someone became a priest when they were they were you know uh, ceremoniously cleansed with water again it was to prepare the nation of Israel to fulfill its destiny once Christ came and established his kingdom which was to reach the Gentile nations and the nation refused to do that so God raised up the Apostle Paul so baptism is primarily a an Israel law thing that has very little, if anything, to do with the body of Christ. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit, not with water. Now, people do get baptized today, and I'm not going to, as long as they're not saying it's salvific, which unfortunately a lot of them do, you got to be baptized to be saved. Why? Because Peter said it. Well, Peter wasn't talking to you. Um, and then number two, these verses cannot be used to make a doctrine for the body of Christ also being the bride of Christ. The body of Christ is not the bride of Christ. And when you bring that up to people, they'll go back to Ephesians 5. Uh, the words bride of Christ are nowhere found in your Bible. None. You can find bride, you can find Christ, you can even find of, but you're not going to find the bride of Christ in your Bible. Uh, the Bible makes it perfectly clear that the New Jerusalem, which will be inhabited by Israel, is the bride in the book of Revelation. Um, they are the ones, you know, uh, there's an interesting Justin Johnson, which is someone I really enjoy listening to. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he has a little message called God's, God's Marriage to Israel. And I'll walk you through it just a little bit. This will be the bulk of our study today. And Justin points out, he's up in Indiana, uh, Grace Ambassadors, I believe is what it's called. Um, he makes these points. God made a covenant and a promise to Israel. And we'll go through this quickly, but in Genesis twenty-two sixteen, And God said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And there's other verses you know, throughout the, the Bible that talk about this covenant, this promise that God made with the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter number 19, verse number 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and you keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. He's talking to the nation of Israel. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Remember we talked about John the Baptist and why he came baptizing? A holy nation. These are the words which, which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. So God made a covenant and a promise to Israel. And we see, I mean, Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, verse number 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and I covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and I entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord, and thou becamest mine. Um, so there is a special covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And understand, the covenants are not for you and me. We are not a covenant people. And currently, we're not, even the Jewish people are not operating under 
a new covenant. Um, so, I mean, he's clearly saying here that it's the nation of Israel that he took to do what? To be his bride. He covered them with his skirt. He covered their nakedness. He entered into a special covenant with them, and they became his. Verse number 15, that but thou didst trust in thine own beauty, and you played the harlot because of thy renown, and pourest out thy fornications on everyone that passed by you. His it was, the nation of Israel, who had become uh, the bride of Christ, played the harlot. They were fornicating with anybody and everybody that came by. And then in verse number 32, the same chapter, he says, But as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of her husband, exclamation point, the nation of Israel was married to God. Okay? Um, verse number 60 all the way down here, just speed reading a little bit here. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. So there's a promise that God is going to restore the relationship one day. And when did he want to restore that relationship? They given them the kingdom. <laughs> um, so, Number one, Justin makes the point, God made a covenant and promised Israel. God married himself to Israel with the covenants. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 2, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in the land which was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall be offended. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone from me, and have walked in vanity, and are become vain? You see, God married himself. See, they're espousals. Okay, that's where we get the word spouse from one or KJV plus what it says about that word espousal there, uh, thine espousals, bridehood, in your bridehood, uh, only in the plural espousal, um, and then uh, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one, behold the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah the covenants made with them not with us, okay not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them. Okay? So number one, God made a covenant and a promise to Israel. Number two, God married himself to Israel with the covenants. Number three, Israel was unfaithful to the covenant, and God divorced her. Uh, in Jeremiah 3, verse 8, And I saw when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away. I gave her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. 
So he put her away. He divorced her, and it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land. She committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Now, you know, today, you know, the definition of adultery is a married person who is cheating on their spouse. Okay, if you're single and you're having sex before marriage, that's fornication. A single person doesn't commit adultery. A single person is a fornicator. A married person commits adultery. Even though the word fornicator is is used in the sexual sense for all deviant sexual behavior, um, definitionally, adultery is committed by a married person. You committed adultery with stones and stocks. In other words, you worshipped idols of your own hands. And yet for all of her treacherous, and for all of this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. In other words, she faked it, is what he's saying there. She faked it. And God said unto me, the backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord thy God. You've scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree. In other words, you slept with everybody, and it's talking about spiritual adultery. And you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children saith the Lord, for I am married to you, (laughs) okay? And I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So Israel was unfaithful, and God divorced her because of her unfaithfulness. Down in verse number 20, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, So have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplication of the children of Israel. For they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Okay? For behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. So God, number one, God made covenants and promises to Israel. God married Israel. Israel was unfaithful, and God divorced her. And then there's a promise of restoration one day after the divorce. In Hosea 1 verse number 9, Then said God, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Interesting, that word lo-ami, there in verse 9. Not my people, a symbolical name for the son of, ooh, something like that. Um, there's more to that name, I am positive. Um, not my people, lo-ami, so my name is lo-ami. I wonder, Hosea 1-9, I think there's more to it than that. Call his name, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. I guess he's talking about how he's put them away. Um, he's, put, he's put them away uh, because of their, uh, their whoredom. But then look in Hosea 2.2. 2. 
plead with your mother, plead she plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. So here we see God has put her away. Notice in Hosea 2, 5 through 8. For your mother hath played the harlot. She hath conceived them. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers and give my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she will follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them and not find them. Then shall she say, I will return to my first husband. Who was Israel's first husband? God. And then it was better for then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and her gold, which they turn around and prepared for Baal, a false god. And then notice Hosea 2, 11 and 12. I will also cause all her myrrh to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, her solemn feasts, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given to me. And I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. Look down in verse 18. And in that day will I make a covenant for them, and the beast of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. Listen, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. That, that means I, I will take you back. And I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment, and loving kindness and in mercy. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. So here is a promise of restoration. Interesting what that word betrothed might mean in the Greek. To a spouse. So it's to, to make a spouse again. So here we see a promise of restoration throughout Hosea after the divorce. One day they will be restored. And when should that have happened? when Christ came and offered them the kingdom. And understand, Christ's entire earthly ministry, he kept saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not here, it's at hand. It's close. And then it was offered by Peter in Acts chapter number 2. Um, and again, he meant, Justin makes another point, no rest until Jerusalem is established over all the earth. And that's Isaiah 62 Verse number four, thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, Israel, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah and the land of Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be, look at that, look at that, shall be married, okay? Um, he's going to, you remember I said when it talks about the bride of Christ, it's the new Jerusalem. Um, that word Beulah is very interesting. Um, look at it in the, uh, in the KJV plus, 
Um, Thou shalt be called desolate in the land Beulah. Beulah, having dominion, be husband, marry. A married land. You know, and we sing in the church, Beulah land. Oh, Beulah land, how I long for you. Well, Beulah land is for the nation of Israel, not for the body of Christ. And I know that blows some of you away, but we have brought so much Reformed theology into the church, which the Reformers brought out of the Catholic Church. And today, anybody that says they're Reformed, that's where they're coming from. Uh, the church and the body of Christ, the body of Christ, is one and the same with Israel. Uh, it's not. That's why I categorically reject Reformed theology. So, no rest until it is established over all the earth. And then God is faithful to keep his covenants with Israel. I mean, he promises a covenant is a pact. He's making a deal. I'm going to bring you back. Isaiah 54, 4. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of your youth. You remember when they played the harlot on him? And shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood because he divorced them. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Well, the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, God put her away. But then he says, for a small moment have I forsaken thee. In other words, but with great mercy I will gather thee. In other words, I will bring you back one day. So God is saying he's going to keep his covenant. In a little wrath I hid my face from you. For a moment I momentarily turned, turned away from you in the divorcement. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. I will bring you back. So God is saying, I'm faithful to keep my covenant with you. In verse number 12, And I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant trees, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and shall be the peace of thy children, and great shall be the peace of thy children. It's a promise to bring Israel back after he put her away. And then we see the remarriage is going to com be complete in the kingdom. The bride is the city. In Revelation 21.2, And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This is the fulfillment to Israel. Uh, we are not the bride of Christ. Uh, Revelation 21, 9. Look down there, verse number 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me and says, Come hither, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And how many times have I said, This is the church. This is the body of Christ. I've ate a lot of crow, Okay. And he carried me away in the spirit in a great high mountain and showed me what? The great city, the holy Jerusalem, uh, descending out of heaven from God. 
having the glory of God. Her light was like a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, crystal, and had a wall high, 12 gates, gates, 12 angels, the names written thereon, the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. This is talking about the nation of Israel, the nation, the new Jerusalem. He's married to the land, Beulah. He describes the, the, the eastern gate, the wall of the city, and he talked with me, had a golden reed. He measured the city. And you, and you see all this. It has nothing to do. The 12 gates were 12 pearls and several gates, one pearl, and I saw no temple in it. Why? For the Lamb, the Almighty, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, and the city had no need for light. This is all Israel. Uh, the promises for Israel all, are all earthly. The kingdom is for Israel. We are a heavenly people. Our promises are heavenly. Um, so the remarriage is complete in the kingdom. Jesus came preaching. Finally, Justin talks about Jesus came preaching the coming kingdom. Be ready and prepare. That's what Jesus' message was when he came. Matthew 9, 15, And Jesus said, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn? Who are the children of the bride chamber? Israel. As long as the bridegroom? Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. But the days will come when the bridegroom is going to be taken from them, and they shall fast. In Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. That's, that parable has nothing to do with the church. It's the nation of Israel. And then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet who? Their bridegroom. And five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. And I've heard so many sermons that this is, you know, backslidden, out of the will of God, carnal Christians, those walking in the spirit, those walking in the flesh. Nothing to do with that. This is all about the nation of Israel. The midnight cry. I mean, how many times have we heard that song? The midnight cry. We'll be going home. The midnight cry <laughs> has nothing to do with the church. Do you understand how much of our theology has is wrapped up in reformed, reformation, replacement theology? Even the ones who claim, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reformed, I'm not replacement theology. Well, you are. If you even attribute anything that happened in Acts 2 to you, <laughs> to the body of Christ, you're replacing the Gentiles or the church with Israel. You're taking their promises from them. So, very interesting. You know, Justin does a wonderful job of showing there that, you know, God's marriage to Israel. Now, we didn't cover a lot today. Uh, matter of fact, we covered one verse <laughs> that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the watering, what the washing of the water of the word. And then, you know, verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. Again, this whole section of Ephesians is talking about headship. It's talking about Christ and his church, and he's using marriage as the illustrated sermon, if you will, to, to talk about the relationship between Christ and his church, which one day 
he is going to present to himself as a glorious church, not having spot, not having wrinkle, any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ desires to present the church without blemish to the Father, so that and so too the man should seek to do the same for his wife. There's, there's application there, but the interpretation is Christ and his trust and his and his church. Trust me, a man living with his wife in this way will not have a problem with submitting to his leadership. You remember he talked about wives submit and what husbands love your wives. Uh, I have found that where where I have found that when a wife begins to pull away from her husband's leadership, it's usually because she's doubting his love for her. And that's true. So there's a primary interpretation of this text, which is Christ and his church. There is an application, sure, the husband and his wife. So um, we'll get into verse number 28 next time. God bless you guys. I will be out of town all next week. I fly out Saturday morning. I will be land in uh, Memphis, and I will be in South Haven, Mississippi. And normally when I'm away traveling, of course, I'm going to be recording in a hotel room, but I have more time because, uh, you know, I, I come home and, you know, it's just me for the evening. So uh, I'll probably finish up the book. My, my desire is to finish the book of Ephesians this next week. And then I'm going to go ahead and put it all in format and get it out on um, Amazon Kindle. So, um, anyways, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Memory loves you. Wants the best for you. He's working all things out for our 